that we can with confidence come before your throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. God, we're all needy today. But God, you are not in need. God, we are all weak, but you are not weak. We all need help, but you need no help. And we come before your mighty throne of grace to receive your help, your strength, your ability, your enabling grace. And so, God, we come before you boldly. We come before you with confidence. We come before you in faith because your son has made us worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. As you heard earlier from John Pactor, that that Aaron Campbell, the other pastor, he is on sabbatical. He's going to be joining back with us in just, I think, the 22nd of August is his first Sunday back. He comes back the week before that, and he'll be with us again. So we're looking forward to that. I know a lot of folks are out on vacation today, and it is a much-needed time to rest because we had a one weird year and a half or so. If you've not had a chance yet to get rest, I would recommend it Um, before this next cycle of whatever comes for us is coming. I I would recommend you rest in God, rest in the things of God and take a break. It is biblical. It is good. And God designed us that way. So rest in God. And hopefully today you'll be able to rest in him as well through resting from work. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're continuing in our series in the the letter to the Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And it was a messed up church in the middle of a extremely worldly culture around it. You can't imagine a culture that was more full of debauchery and and thought that all the answers were found in man's wisdom. And so Paul, he's writing to them and reminding them of the grounds for their hope and then the ability to hope in the future to change because they had a lot of areas they needed to change in. If you've read the letter to the Corinthians, you'll realize that they, they needed to change quite a bit. And this letter gives us hope as well. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read the entire chapter together with, um, with Paul here. So, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through The Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have, not, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges or discerns all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we require the mind of Christ to be able to understand your words. But thank you that, that by the Spirit's enabling, you have given us the mind of Christ, the ability to think like Christ because you have renewed our minds in Christ and you are continually renewing our minds in Christ by your Spirit. So Father, I pray that you would enable us to understand your words, to apply your words, to have fresh faith in response to your words. Empower us because of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Is, is there an area or maybe multiple areas in your life that you want to change? Anybody here have an area in their life that they want to change? An area in life that you want to change? Just one? Even one area in life you want to change? Think about that area for a moment. Anybody here have an area that you, you want to change that you feel like it's too hard to change or that you're really frustrated with changing in? Anybody have those things? One of those areas that you're, you feel like it's, it's, it's hard, it's improbable, it's almost impossible to change in. Well, what do you think will lead to a better you in that area? What, what do you think you need to change? What, what do you think will bring about the change that you want to see in your life? What do you think will transform you? What's the, the, the paradigm, the model, the pattern that, that you think you need to live by? Not, not, the, not the right religious answer, but what are you actually believing in to change? That's the question, really. Maybe you need change in some area of sin that you just can't seem to beat. Maybe you need change in, in the way you parent, in the way you love your spouse or don't. Maybe it's in the way, as a child, that you love your siblings or don't love your siblings, or the way that you love and obey your, and honor your parents or don't obey and honor your parents. Maybe you have to change in some other area that you feel like you just can't do it. What are you relying on to change? What methodology, what pattern are you relying on to change? The world has a lot of answers. If you go into a bookstore today, you look around on all the shelves, the, the, the vast majority of bookstores are, are all about self-help, what you need to change. And there's all kinds of talking heads telling you about all the different ways in which you can be a better you. And, and honestly, Christian bookstores are not really immune to that, how you can be a better you. Ten steps to a more successful life in Christ. There's a wisdom in the world that tells us a lot of things. Some of them are contradictory. Some of them are misleading. Actually, all of them are misleading. There's a wisdom that says you have to live for yourself, that, that only you can change yourself. There's a wisdom that says you must protect yourself. That there's another wisdom that says your ultimate identity lies within yourself or lies within what you feel. What you feel defines you. 
What you desire or what you want is what you were truly meant to be, so live that out. That's what the wisdom of the world tells us, right? The wisdom of the world says if we can only believe in ourselves enough, we'll be better. There's a wisdom that looks to external factors that shape us and, and, and says, well, if we change our environment or change our education or change the things around us that, that are in our lives, then, then maybe that will change us for good. And we can buy into all those ways of thinking and subtly, if you look at it, the Christian church around us has bought into many of those things and ideas. That's why I see doctrine changing in response to changing attitudes in the world around. You see shifts in doctrine that don't conform to what God tells us, but they conform to what seems right in our own eyes. There's a wisdom that says the constraints of religion or these outdated morals are what oppress us and keep us from being free. So we have to throw off restraints of religion and morals to be truly free. And we can see that kind of thinking in the world around us, but sadly we see that kind of thinking in the Christian church. And to some degree it affects us too. Because what is often revealed is what we hope in for change is far too frequently our own ability or maybe some new technique or maybe some new methodology. We can be subtly persuaded that the wisdom the world offers indeed offers us hope. And we get frustrated because we feel like we're not changing because we're looking to the wrong places to change. We're looking to the wrong source for hope, either ourself or someone else or some methodology or some system. You ever been there? Anybody here frustrated at times like that? Anybody? Good, we got three people who are honest. See, the church in Corinth, it was a real mess. And Paul has to correct a lot of things in the church in Corinth. He's, he needs to change a lot of things because their behavior, it stinks. They're not living in conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. And they're living in many ways like the world. And, and in some ways, they're living far worse than the world, he says. He says, the world doesn't even tolerate the kind of behavior you're tolerating. Why is that? They were looking for wisdom in the things of the world. They began to live again like the world. They were believers. He's writing to Christians here. But he's writing to Christians who, who become saved. And they thought that, well, we're, we're Christians now. So now it's a self-help project. Jesus, thanks for helping us. Thanks for forgiving us of our sins. We got it from here. And that's the subtle tendency, really, of many of us as Christians today. Paul's going to need to correct them, and he does that at the beginning of the next chapter. He begins to correct them, and they, they need to correct their, their behavior, their actions. But the first thing they need to correct is their thinking, their mindset, what they're relying on, their faith. And that's what we need to hear as well. If, if you want to change, what needs to be corrected is the basis for our faith and then the hope to change. And so that's what Paul gives them. He tells them the first five verses that really, if you want to change, you need to rely on the change that comes through the power of God. Our, our faith doesn't begin with a message of self-salvation. He reminds them, hey, your faith, when I came to you, do you remember what I told you? Your faith, it didn't begin with this self-help message. And I didn't even give you this great oratory to believe in. I didn't give you great rhetoric to put your trust in. I wasn't impressive because I didn't want you to think that my impressiveness was what was convincing you of the truth. Paul says there's at least three truths in this passage that we have to comprehend and believe we're going to change and correct our behavior and grow as Christians. And the first thing we see is that the power of God is given to us 
through or in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to get as Christians. That's what Paul tells in the first five verses here or so. He says that the power of God is given to us in or through Jesus Christ. He needs to remind them of that because they've forgotten that and they've begun to live like the world because they're hoping in the worldly things to grow, to be impressive, to change for their identity, to, to understand, to grow in depth and knowledge and wisdom. And they're so fascinated with worldly ways of ideas of wisdom. And, and it's not too far-fetched from what we see today in the world where, where Christians become overly fascinated with, with these techniques from CEOs or successful people in the world. We try to implement those things and bring them into the church and Christianize them. And he says, don't, don't do that. Don't subtly rely on the wisdom of the world and then try to baptize it somehow into Christianity. All that's going to get you is the things of the world. The wisdom of the world is going to get you the things of the world. But where do you have power? Well, the power of God is given to us in and through Jesus Christ. And specifically, he says, through the crucified Christ. That's where we receive the power of God. Don't forget that. That it has to come that way. There's no other way we can receive the power of God. Paul tells them he's intentionally not giving them intelligent discourse, he says. He's not giving them persuasive arguments. He's not giving them the best rhetorical structure. He was aware that they were going from one impressive speaker to another. They were, they were going from, hey, who sounds the best? Who's really cool? Who's relatable? Who's hip? Who can speak in the vernacular of their day? And that's not really different from us today. That's why often, and I'm not against big churches, but that's why often mega churches grow. It's because there's more engagement, more entertaining. They have a better light show. They have a better speaker. They're, they have a whole speaking team, 20 people who, who write for the pastor that morning. They're impressive. They go from one ancient TED talk to another. That's what they were doing in Corinth. The Corneth talks, or whatever they want to call them. They go from one place to another. They would always seek what was popular and cutting edge and entertaining. And Paul says, no, I don't want you to rely on those things. I don't want you to look to those things because that's not where the true power of God comes. The true power of God, it actually comes by the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the power of God comes from. It's not through rhetoric. It's not through words of human wisdom. They were enamored with what was seemed wise. They tended to trust the things that had an earthly ring of wisdom and trust those people who seemed successful, seemed to have it all together, who seemed like they were in shape. Sometimes people choose their church by whether their pastor is buff or not. Obviously, you didn't do that. Paul's reminding them of, of the source of their hope. It's not in him. It's not in any person. It's in the power of God that comes only through the crucified Jesus Christ. So he says, I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You need a transformation. You need to die and be born into something new, a new creation. That's how the power of God comes. You ever seen a dung beetle? I've got a picture of one, I think, for you up there. I think there's a picture of a dung beetle. Maybe not. A dung beetle, they, they take these balls of dung, and they roll them. They feast on dung. 
They, they roll the dung. Half of their life is spent in effort rolling dung over to their nesting place, and then they deposit their eggs into the dung and so that their larva eats dung. I don't think I've ever said dung so much in a message before. <laughs> if you were to tell a dung beetle to change into something else, they could not. Dung is all they have to work with. They, they need to be fundamentally changed into something else in order to be different. They, they're defined by being a dung beetle. And, and Paul's telling them, he says, you know, you, you needed the power of Jesus Christ to put your old man to death. And by faith, we put ourselves to death with Christ, that we die, we become dead to our old man, to our old nature. And the reality is that we were dead in sin. All we could do was sin. All we had was sin to work with. We were completely free to sin only. You know, when people say that, you know, to being free from religion, it it sets you free. No, it only makes you free to sin. When you're slaves to Christ, then you're free to obey. That's that's the seeming paradox. You see, the Christian life is one that we have to die to our old man. We have to die to ourselves and be resurrected into something completely new. What we see is not the true us any longer. We, as Christians, in us the hope of glory. And one day our resurrected bodies will look like this new creation that he's given to us. Sometimes we act like people who are dead in sin, though, they can change themselves or make themselves into something new. Have you ever tempted to act that way? To expect dead people to act not dead? But death and sin is all they have. We need the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified to put our old man to death, to resurrect us and give us hope for new life. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to make spiritually dead corpses alive. We must die to ourselves in order to live and be resurrected to our new life in Christ. And so Paul's saying, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why, because they need to have the fundamental faith, not in themselves and their ability, but reminded, hey, they couldn't do it to begin with. They needed Jesus to die for them because a death had to transpire. A death had to take place. It was either their eternal death or the death of Christ for them and in their place, the perfect substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ for them, the perfect life given to them so they might have life. And that's what we need to have hope in as well. The Jewish solicitor seems silly, he said, to somebody who, who seemingly didn't have power to overcome the Roman soldiers, didn't have the power to free himself from the cross, that they didn't get that the cross was the very power of God to defeat sin and death. To the Greeks, it seems silly that a convicted criminal seemed foolish. This person of low birth, convicted and killed as a criminal against the state, would be their leader. That seems silly. But yet, this is the wisdom of God, Paul says. The wisdom of God that people couldn't understand, they couldn't see, is that God had planned all along to provide a way for all of man's sins to be paid for. That people just couldn't figure out, they couldn't do it on their own. And so Paul says, I didn't, I didn't come to you trying to persuade you and be impressive before you. I was in weakness. I was in fear. I was in much trembling. He says, I came to you honestly. I came to you humbly. I didn't, I didn't come with it all together physically. Paul wasn't in perfect shape. He wasn't completely healthy with perfect white teeth and his chiseled physique. Paul says, I came to you in weakness. And the stories of Paul is saying he was actually had some, had some issues. He walked with a limp. He had scars. 
He was stoned three times and left for dead. By the way, when you get hit by rocks hard enough to kill you, it's going to leave a mark. Paul says, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear and trembling. He wasn't drawing attention to himself and preaching like some did in that day to make a name for themselves and like perhaps some do to make ministries for themselves today. He didn't preach a man-centered gospel to make people feel good about themselves, tell them God wants them to always be healthy or prosperous. He didn't feed them nonsense. He says, I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear and trembling. He didn't manipulate them like preachers do. He didn't have fancy systems. He didn't have a great light show. He didn't, didn't hire the best musicians to impress or talk about pop topics that interest people, produce people who are shallow, have no real depth. They fall away when a better, more flashy item appears. He wasn't self-confident. He didn't trust his ability. He says, no, I'm trusting in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is what transforms. When Paul preached the gospel, people were convicted. Eyes were open. Hearts were softened. As Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, the Spirit empowered Paul and made his hearers able to respond to the gospel. And, and the power of God made people alive in him. And he says, all this was so that your faith wouldn't rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Is it what your faith rests in to change today? Paul came that way for that purpose. We need to hear that message again. So our faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of men, in our wisdom, anybody else's wisdom, but it rests in the power of God. That same power that originally transformed us, that crucified us with Christ, that, that's made us alive in Christ. That is where our faith rests. If you're going to correct some things that are messed up in your life, that's where you got to start. That's what Paul tells them. you got to think that way. And then he tells them something else. Just the Spirit, it reveals the wisdom of God. The Spirit, he reveals the wisdom of God in Christ. That's what the Spirit does. You see, the wisdom of God is actually only revealed in Jesus Christ. You can't live good enough on your own. And the wisdom of God says you don't have to. He did for you. The wisdom of God says you can't pay for your sins enough against an eternal, infinite God, and yet in his wisdom God provided a way that the infinite, eternal Son of God would be born to a virgin into lowly means to take your place, to earn favor before God, and to pay for all your sins before him as well. So Paul talks about this. It's not a wisdom of this age or rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Don't think that, that your hope lies in the latest technique to change. It might be helpful for a time. But what you really need is to be transformed by renewing your mind. You need to be transformed with the wisdom of God that's found in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I, 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 I didn't come with you with worldly wisdom, but what I, I do impart, I really do impart wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom you think. You think Paul's schizophrenic because the first five verses he says, I didn't come with wisdom, but he says, but I do impart wisdom. I'm not, I'm not coming with worldly wisdom, he's saying, but I do impart godly wisdom, the wisdom of understanding Jesus Christ and being transformed by Jesus Christ and realizing that the Spirit gives us the wisdom of God in Christ. It's not the wisdom of this present evil age. It's not the same wisdom that the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away give. And by the way, that's what people today give. As much as you might be enamored with people like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or whoever you think is great, unless they know Christ, they're doomed to pass away. Where's it going to lead? What do you want? That kind of wisdom? Or do you want the wisdom that God imparts in Jesus Christ? 
He says, I am part of wisdom among those who are truly mature. What's true maturity? Those who understand that, that the power of God is found on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's found in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit gives us that. He says, we impart this secret and hidden wisdom. It's not that it's a puzzle. It has to be unlocked that we've got to figure out. He says, no, a wisdom that people didn't see that was hidden from man, that God had actually decreed before the ages. And that wisdom, who is that wisdom? It's Jesus Christ. Some of those claiming to be wise in the world today say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Some say, if, you, if you're good enough or if you do good enough, then God's going to accept you. Some say, if you, if you earn enough good karma, then you'll find favor with the gods. Or maybe if you volunteer enough or if you... If you pay it forward or if you're a champion of the poor, do good or raise awareness for good cause or if you help people, or that's the way you earn good points for eternity. Some claiming the world to be wise say that what matters is how successful or talented or popular you are, but those things and those people are doomed to pass away without Christ. The wisdom of the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus is with their heritage, their birthright, it made them acceptable before God. But that wasn't wisdom. Some have claimed to be wise, thought it was through education or maybe redistribution of their wealth that we would make the world a better place for eternity. But the wisdom God imparts is by the Spirit. The cross was not an accident or a divine mistake or a backup plan. This is God's wisdom since before he decreed before the ages. Before the ages began, before the eons began, God decreed the wisdom of the cross. This wasn't God saying, oh no, what do I do now that man messed up? No. No, it's not like man somehow forced God's hand. I got to come up with a backup plan because Adam messed up. No, he says, this is the very wisdom of God that we couldn't understand, how God was going to use even man's sin to bring about the Messiah so that we might not rely on ourselves like Adam did, but we might rely on him and his power to change us. None of the rulers of this age understood it, because if they did, he says, they wouldn't have killed them. If Herod or Cephas, or, I mean, if Herod or Caiaphas or, the, or Pilate or the other people in that day, if they had understood that Jesus was their only hope, they wouldn't have put him to death. Because it would have been securing their own death. They, aren't, they weren't stupid in that sense, but they were relying on the wisdom of this world. But they didn't understand the wisdom of God. How God uses the weak things to confound the strong. Even Jesus himself said that he didn't understand. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They didn't recognize him as the Lord of glory, the eternal judge. And what they brought on themselves was eternal judgment and torment that comes from rejecting him. So they crucified him. But, but he tells us there's, there is something here that God has prepared that no one has seen. Look in verse 9. He says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't understand just how good the gospel is. People couldn't get it. They, didn't, they, they, were, they were thinking too small. Maybe they can come before God and be accepted temporarily. Maybe they can have their sins taken away temporarily. But what they couldn't understand was what God had really prepared was to wipe away all their sins for all eternity. What they couldn't understand is they have all the merit and worth of Jesus. What they couldn't understand is all the beauty of Christ who could be given to them and all the enabling grace of God given to them in their daily lives. No eye had seen that. No ear had heard that. 
But these things, he says, God's revealed to us through the Spirit. He says, for the Spirit searches everything or understands everything. Is probably a better way of looking at that. Even the depths of God. God's revealed his wisdom, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the Spirit to all who love him. And notice it's not the, that knowledge is not the entryway. Love is. He says that God has prepared beforehand for those who love him. Love's the entry into true wisdom. Loving Jesus is where we receive wisdom. Wisdom's not revealed to the esteemed philosophers, but to those who humbly receive Christ. There's not a special skill. There's, there's not a special human understanding that makes somebody more superior or better able to receive Jesus. Humans can't understand God's mind on their own, just like an own, a person's own spirit knows their own depths. Only God can reveal the truth about the spirit. So the first thing that Paul told us is we have to comprehend and believe that we're going to change is that the power of God is given to us through Jesus Christ. The second thing he tells us is that the Spirit reveals the wisdom of God in Christ. And the third thing we see is that the Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. If you want to know what's in God's mind, Paul says, you have to understand his, you have to listen for his Spirit. Because just like no one can read our minds and see into our minds except ourselves and our own spirit that lies within us, that then no one else except for the Spirit reveals God to us. We can't attain to God, understand God on our own. We need the Spirit to reveal God to us. That's why God sends us the Spirit. That's good news. God actually gives us the Spirit. That's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. You can change because Jesus Christ and Him crucified has made it so that you're crucified to yourself and you can live to Him. And not only that, now you have the power of the Spirit to enable you to understand him, to know him, and then you can be transformed as you, your mind is renewed with the mind of Christ. A few years ago, there was this show, it ended, I think it ended a couple years ago, it was called Psych. And it was a, it was a comedy, and he, he pretended to read the thoughts of people psychically, even though he was just clever and he had a photographic memory. And it was this kind of funny bit, but you knew all along he really couldn't read minds. No one can, by the way, in case you're confused. They are not really psychics. They are just frauds who pretend to read minds. Only, only my own mind and my own spirit knows my thoughts, what I'm truly thinking, and that's true of God, too. We are made in the image of God, and so only the Spirit of God knows the mind of God. That's what Paul is telling us here. So even though man doesn't understand the depths of God's wisdom by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, as we believe on him, Jesus gives us the Spirit so that we can actually understand, he enables us to understand what God wants for us, what God has for us, who God created us to be, who God meant for the world around us to be, and how we can relate to other people around us. You see, true wisdom comes through the Spirit. True change begins with thinking thoughts after Christ by the Spirit. We understand the depths of God's wisdom in Jesus through the Spirit. And he enables us to understand the depths of God that are revealed to us through his word. The Spirit of God understood what the thoughts of God were, what he had planned, just like our own spirit understands our internal thoughts. That's what Paul's saying. There's nothing beyond the Spirit's knowledge. Now look at verse 12. He says, now we have received. Get this. Here's our hope to change. Now we've received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. 
you've received, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your hope when you need correction, your hope to change, your ability to change is that you have now received the Spirit of God. And that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. It begins by understanding who you are, by understanding His good, gracious gifts, by understanding all the things we have in Christ. That's where transformation begins. There should be shouting right now, we've received the Spirit of God. I need to hear some amens here. Come on, we've we, we received the Spirit of God. Is, it, is that good news? And he says, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Words taught by the Spirit. The apostles have given us the words taught by the Spirit so that we might have wisdom. And we can live in response to that. We can live by the wisdom that is taught by the Spirit. There's some awkward wording in, in, the, in the English here. It says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual Gordon Fee put it in, a, in, I think, a more helpful way. He says, explaining the things of the Spirit with words taught by the Spirit. It's probably a better way of, of wording that. Paul says, we're explaining the things of the Spirit with words taught by the Spirit. The natural person doesn't understand. Don't expect people of the world to understand spiritual things. Because why? Because they're not spiritual. I don't mean they don't have spirits, but they're not, they're not made alive by the Spirit, so they can't understand the things of the Spirit. He says the person who's naturally minded doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Of course they don't, because they're not of the Spirit. They're folly to the natural man, because the spiritual truths require the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand. Here's the good news. God's given you, as a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. He will enable you to understand the wisdom that he brings through spiritual words to impart spiritual truths to your mind. That's where change begins. It begins by renewing our minds, by being transformed, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 or 2, but be transformed by renewing your mind so that then you can understand how, what, how to live in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God. It begins by being transformed by the Spirit, by understanding Him, by, by digging into the wisdom of God found in Jesus Christ, beginning with the wisdom that we saw last week where our identity is in Christ, beginning with living as if we are dead to sin, completely crucifying, living the cruciform life every day. That's why he says, I came to you and I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified because the Christian life is a cruciform life. And the Holy Spirit makes all the difference because he makes us alive. He gives us the life of Christ. Now, in verse 15, it says, has been Interpreted badly many times, the spiritual person judges. It's the same word earlier that Paul says, I determined. It's the same kind of word here. It says the spiritual person judges. The spiritual person is, is discerns all things, is what he's talking about. But it's himself to be judged by no one, meaning that people who are not spiritual cannot discern how to live spiritually. But the spiritual person can understand how to live. There's hope to understand how to live because we have the Spirit. A person with the Holy Spirit isn't judged by someone without the Holy Spirit, but, but we can actually discern and judge how we should live. It's not the people of the world who help us know how to live or judge how we should live. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to know how to live. And then look in verse 16. He says, For or because who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Well, the Holy Spirit is the answer. He says, But we have, we have actually. We have the ability to understand the mind of the Lord through the Holy Spirit? Isn't that crazy? He says, but we have the mind of Christ? 
What? We've been given the very thoughts, the spirit who is inside of God, who's, who is part of God. This is a mystery, by the way. I can't explain exactly the Trinity to you, okay? I wish I could. But the Holy Spirit of God explains, gives us the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit gives us to understand and accept and embrace Christ. There is hope to change because we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the very understanding of Jesus, to understand who we are in him, who the world is, and then, and then who we're meant to live as in the world enables us to live that way. We can have the mind of Christ, to live like Christ. That's good news. There's hope to change here. And, and the Corinthians are going to get some correction. We all probably are going to get some correction as we look into the book or the letter to the Corinthians. Because God's word does that. It penetrates. It is to the vision of thoughts, desires. The mind of Christ is the spirit giving us the mind to understand and accept and embrace Christ. It's, it's, it's enabling us to see that where I'm not like Christ, I'm going to put those things to death and, and become like Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the mind of Christ, thinking like Christ, being like Christ, through the Spirit, enabling us, reconfiguring our thinking, reorienting us to see ourselves, others in the world, the way that he does. There's hope. There's hope because we have the Spirit, because Jesus Christ has been crucified and he's risen again. There's hope. By, by his spirit, God lovingly, he gives us his identity and the hope of having his mind. What are you relying on to change? The wisdom of this world? That's pretty weak. Here's the good news of your Christian. We rely on the power of God to change. Isn't that good news? Because we have the power of God to change. We have the spirit. Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. He's, we've received the spirit. We have the mind of Christ. There is an ability now to receive all the correction that we have because our identity doesn't lie what we need to correct. Our identity lies in Christ Jesus and our power doesn't lie in our ability to correct those things that need correcting. Our power lies in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. Here's the main idea I think we need to hear this morning. If we want to change... We need the power of the Spirit of God. And we have the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If we want to change, we need the power of the Spirit of God. And we have the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a self-help project. It's a belief that we can't, but Jesus can it's a belief that we couldn't, but Jesus did. It's a belief that the power didn't rest in us to redeem ourselves. And a belief that the power doesn't rest in ourselves to change ourselves going forward. Christianity, it's, it's a constant death to self project. I'm not limited by, by my ability or inability to change myself. That's what this Christianity tells us. The Holy Spirit, he's the one who makes dead people alive. The Holy Spirit, he sets us free. The Holy Spirit fundamentally changed me and fundamentally is conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. And he can and he does the same thing for all who have placed their faith in Jesus. Christianity is a project of the Holy Spirit to transform us by his power. Did you get that? Not by our power, but his power. So don't look to the things of the world. Don't look to the wisdom of the world to change yourself. Look to the wisdom of Jesus Christ given to us by the Spirit. 
It's our faith in the fact that he makes us dead to our old way of life through Jesus and he makes us alive to our new life in Christ. It's faith in the power of the Spirit to give us the mind of Christ and enable us to live in his power every day. That's the wisdom of God. That's what we must live by. And church, isn't that what we want to live by? Can you imagine if we actually began to live this way? Well, let's start again today. Amen? Let's pray and have the band come up and we'll we'll sing.